Hello, I am Ariel Munafo. And I am Moshe Ferber. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast. The podcast about security engineering. Hello everyone, another episode of Silver Lining Podcast is with me as always, Moshe. How are you, Moshe? Very good. Good morning, Ariel. Good to see you. Good to see you too. And uh, we are in the studio in Tel Aviv. This is uh, for a long time, uh, but uh, today we are in, uh, running up uh, with a lot of uh, episodes. And uh, with us, Leonid. How are you, Leonid? Very good. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Great to have you here, Leonid. Can you introduce yourself for a second? Yes, my name is Leonid Sandler. I'm the CTO and co-founder of Armo Security. Uh, my experience goes over 25 years back to software security in the world of video. As you probably know, video was under heavy attacks for many, many years. Uh, I work for a company called NDS, who was building uh, video security solutions. And one of them that I've specifically designed was a solution for digital rights management, which was... distributing content to open devices like computers, phones, mobiles, tablets, etc. And being under heavy attack, we have gathered a lot of experience withstanding those attacks, which we are now taking to the world of uh, cybersecurity. So NDS today is Cisco, acquired by Cisco, right? NDS was acquired by Cisco in 2012, but mm-hmm. it was sold back in 2018, so it's not Cisco anymore. It's yeah. called Cinemedia now. Ah, I didn't know that. Okay, and uh, b- back in the days when we had uh, the, uh, the, the box for the satellites and for the cables, so they had like a small chip, a uh, card, smart card, this was basically NDS uh, solution, right? There was a smart card security for mm-hmm. broadcast solutions like satellite and cable, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, when Steve Jobs invented mobile phone and everybody moved to watch video over this, what we call the unmanaged platforms, and that was uh, a software-only solution, basically developed in software to protect content on uh, all these platforms. Oh, so this was the digital rights uh, management digital rights platform. Management. Okay, very interesting. So today in Armo, uh, you're the CTO. Give us a couple of words about Armo and what you're doing. Armo is a Kubernetes security company. We've target, uh, targeted for ourselves providing a secure security solution for the entire company. spectrum of security problems in Kubernetes, which includes uh, configuration, runtime, posture, etc. And uh, we're building this as an open source product, which growing up, we started over six months ago, and we now have over 5,000 stars and uh, a lot of users. And uh, this product is growing very well. We work with the community and we believe that the world direction we take in Armo is going to be what Kubernetes security needs. Okay, so first of all, thank you for your contribution to the community. We love open source and we love this approach. Let's start by talking a little bit about Kubernetes security basics. I mean, uh, okay, so I have a Kubernetes. What are the basics of securing it? Well, uh, Kubernetes is, some people call it a cloud on steroids. <laughs> uh, that may be true, maybe not, but definitely if you take any cloud, environment, you would see Kubernetes as a blind spot because it's a collection of multiple nodes that can do basically whatever they want, whatever Kubernetes is, is going to decide uh, to run on them. It, it has all the privileges uh, in order for Kubernetes to allow the most privileged way of execution either against a local node, Linux, or against the Kubernetes API itself. And therefore, uh, basically, uh, security of Kubernetes is very similar to To security approach to the cloud where we always speak about 
security of Kubernetes versus security in Kubernetes, where we look at Kubernetes itself as an infrastructure and we look at the applications that are running in it, uh, how to secure them and how to make sure that both of them together are done well. Okay, so basically we're talking about the shared responsibility model. So I guess you're talking about shared responsibility between consumer and provider, also shared responsibility between the different departments in the organization, right? Can you give us a couple of words? Yes, that, that, that's definitely true. Uh, the shared responsibility model is everywhere. Any infrastructure would have it. And uh, consumer would use Kubernetes when provider would configure it. But as I said before, Kubernetes is allowed by default to do anything it wants, which means that basic configuration is pretty wide open. And when we work on uh, in the cloud, and we basically take a very wide open uh, infra infrastructure configuration and then try to tie it up to needs of our business. And when we work in the, uh, in the data center and on-prem environment, then different departments would most likely run Kubernetes for you. Also will give you something pretty wide open, maybe a little bit tighter than the cloud, but still pretty wide open, and you have to adjust it to the needs of your specific application. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can you give us a couple of words about uh, uh, Kubernetes security features? I mean, what do we have uh, inside the box? Well, uh, Kubernetes comes with a lot of f configuration parameters, and many of them can be attributed to security. There's a security uh, posture, security context, uh, all of the um, privilege controls mechanisms, security policies, you name it. Uh, RBAC is, is their old base access control that uh, uh, define what user or what user group or what uh, service account, which is basically a fancy name for the application, uh, can do in the Kubernetes. But uh, as I said before, everything is coming by default pretty wide open. So the problem is not how to configure it. Everybody knows when, when they understand what they need to configure, they, they know where to go and how to change it. But uh, on the other hand, it's, mu it's much more difficult to figure out what do you need to change. For example, uh, there are three or four different ways to configure uh, your process privilege, whether you run as root or not, whether you run as privileged or not. If you don't run as a root, maybe you still have privilege escalation capability, etc. And all of these different parameters, they are so uh, detailed, they're so complicated that most of the people who run this system probably would not know them. And therefore, you know, when we first started to work on the Kubernetes uh, configuration security, I personally was a little bit skeptical because we came from much heavier runtime security background. But then understanding how complicated is that, how many, how much knowledge one needs to gather to actually put them all together and, and adjust them to specific needs of your application, it's tremendous. And I think that uh, the decision to move to open source and not only develop it ourselves, but open it up to the community, hear people, let them contribute, let them use it and give us the feedback, that, that I think that was a very good decision at the time. Yeah. It's oh. a, it's well good to work and uh, listen to the community. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, moving on with the security foundations, we basically identified the three major sources of security problems in Kubernetes in our pre uh, pre episode conversation. Can you uh, elaborate on this? Yes, of course. I, I, I think it's not only Kubernetes. Generally, if you look at the big picture of security, most of your problems will come either from misconfiguration or credential abuse or. Uh, vulnerability exploits. And sometimes those parameters have individual effect on your system. Sometimes all three of them come to the party and play together. 
but attack always consumes or, or contains something from uh, many many of the different areas. However, I think that uh, scanning for configuration, as I said before, by itself is uh, is not a trivial process because you have to understand what your solution needs. Kubernetes is allowed to run pods as privileged because it's needed. It's not something that because somebody was lazy to to close, and therefore. Um, you have to uh, figure out which part of your application need this privilege, which doesn't. And even if you say this particular workload have to run privileged, how do I make sure that there is no kind of a, a blow effect on that? If somebody manages to compromise it, how far they can go, what kind of exec- uh, interfaces they could access, what kind of data they could access, and how to minimize the blast radius. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Misconfiguration is one thing, credential abuse, we know phishing attacks, we know rogue employees, we know uh, incompetent employees, whatever, whatever you name it, okay, uh, and the Kubernetes as a software platform also has credentials not only for people but also for uh, applications and you need to keep them as well because applications can do just as much as people can. And uh, if somebody breaks in, like we saw in the Equifax attack in the past, and finds appropriate uh, API access key or, or password or whatever, uh, that would be kind of a game over scenario, which you have to find and again figure out how to minimize it and how to reduce the blast radius. And the last but not least, uh, I think that software vulnerability exploits is something that is not going to go away. If you look at the uh, CVE sites listing those vulnerabilities. The numbers are only growing. The more software we develop, the more vulnerabilities is, get, get, is getting there. People just blindly take containers. Many developers blindly take copy-paste code from Stack Overflow and put them into, into their production code. And who knows where it's going to end. Yeah. I, I want to focus a little bit about vulnerabilities inside the Kubernetes. I mean, not talking about the software that you build on top of Kubernetes. I mean, uh, I've, been, I've been in the information security when we started with virtualization. In the beginning, we were very worried about putting it into production because of guest escape and because we didn't really know. We didn't trust the software because we didn't even know how to work it properly. I mean, uh, what, uh, going back to Kubernetes, I see the same adoption problem, right? You, I see that we miss configure the networking because it's complicated networking. I see that we're misconfiguring the, uh, the actually the underlying host and I see that we misconfiguring, not misconfiguring, we, uh, we, we build new vectors because we use, I don't know, malicious images and stuff like this. Exactly the same problem with classic virtualization. When do you think this will be matured? I mean, uh, I see the maturity process much faster than in the, in the past. Uh, but if we still see vulnerabilities in Kubernetes of guest escape, which I would thought would be less and less. What do you think about that? Well, uh, I think what, whatever is related to guest escape is more attributed to containers rather than Kubernetes itself because Kubernetes just orchestrates the containers. Mm-hmm. Of course, it has a high-privileged agent, and if you find a vulnerability in Kubernetes itself, that may allow you to escape from the container faster. But uh, I think the complexity of this platform is not really reducing. It's, it's actually growing. Uh, you know, just last week, I, I needed to do some uh, a small function. And it took me about 10 minutes to deploy a function that was written in 20 Python lines on Google uh, Functions uh, platform 
which was available for the entire world. I didn't need army of system engineers. I didn't need army of, uh, you know, um, maintainers for servers and internet service providers and people talking about uh, high availability, etc. So uh, the technology is wonderful, but but the complexity that it entails is not really reducing itself. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I think that uh, you know. To, to be on a positive note, okay, uh, I think that uh, tools that are coming around those platforms, tools that help people to uh, look at where they run, what their weaknesses are, and, and I'm avoiding world vulnerability here because sometimes you take somebody else's vulnerability to your system, but start from what you are doing. Check your configuration, figure out uh, what, you know, general play field in, in, in this, okay, how you... Uh, Kubernetes security in general will be constructed from Kubernetes itself, container security, Linux security, networking security. All of these layers are, are, are basically coming one on top of the other and constitute the overall uh, security posture of your system. Okay, so let's talk about the cluster configuration posture, I mean, the security posture of the cluster itself. What, can you, what kind of tips can you give us to in protecting the, the posture of the cluster? Well, uh, cluster is a collection of nodes and a collection of rules that Kubernetes uses to run uh, your workloads in it. It can be divided in a group of namespaces and therefore uh, your configuration parameters can also be attributed to a specific group of uh, workloads, which is a namespace. Uh, Kubernetes uh, role-based access control is designed to give you Um, different level of uh, configuration for every namespace. So basically you can say certain group of users, certain team, certain application can run in a specific namespace and that will be kind of a virtual boundary of that team in the cluster. Uh, and, there, and on top of that, there are of course cluster roles and cr- cluster uh, permissions, which uh, normally uh, attributed to the administrators. So uh, you need to configure both. There's, there's no like one rule, one or one size fit all. Mm-hmm. You need to configure um, security parameters. You also need to configure deployment parameters. And there's no razor sharp boundary between the two. Okay. Sometimes, you know, security parts uh, uh, is important for deployment. Sometimes deployment parameters that, that you know, like, like memory limits, et cetera, are also important for security. Okay, so the next one, the first one is the cluster configuration, second of the administration actually is an audit and uh, give us a couple of words about that. I mean, you already mentioned identity in certain aspects. Well, I think identity is is very important part in the Kubernetes. If you remember the old architectures with two or three tier solution, we had uh, servers, we, have net, we had networking, we had some subnets and virtual uh, LANs, etc. And we could configure uh, that network using uh, switches and routers, etc. Kubernetes is flat in, in the sense of networking. There's, there's no boundaries. In, and uh, every virtual boundary like namespace doesn't really protect uh, messages from being delivered from one namespace to another in, in the sense of networking. And therefore, uh, it's not only difficult to manage, it's difficult to understand who are you going to give access to. You cannot do it based on the IP because every minute your workload can wake up on a different node with completely different IP address and maybe a different part of the network even. And so uh, uh, you really need to figure out how to follow every single instance of the program and, and that, that is called identity-based uh, policy permissions and identity-based restrictions and policies. 
And uh, there are different ways to establish identity. Some people distinguish between what we call the declared identity. My name is Leonid, okay, or your name is whatever. Uh, and, and, and some people go deeper and will maybe mention a little bit in armor how, how we actually do this. Some people go deeper and look at what is actually behind that identity. What are you uh, running? What software? What uh, scripts? What configuration? What command line parameters? Because all of these can inf influence the behavior of your workload. Okay, okay. and that, that's, that's why identity is important. And you have to base your configurations and policies rather on identity because of the dynamic nature of the, um, uh, of the cluster. Okay, moving on. So uh, we have the cluster, we have the access to the cluster, the identity. We also are running workloads on top of this cluster, the containers themselves. Give us a couple of words about runtime security. Well, uh, runtime security can also be seen as part of security of Kubernetes, where you look at the um, admission policies. What are you running? You look at every pod or every container, basically, what privilege you run it in, what uh, permissions do you give it? Can this container go to a file system of the node underneath? Can this container talk to networking, which belongs to nodes rather than applications? Can this container have a, a persistent volume or, or some sensitive volume with the data that you, you want to protect, etc.? And, and um, admission controllers look at the policy on one hand, something that you scan in the configuration and then you can restrict during the execution, which is very important because uh, when you scan your cluster, you have to set up a lot of exceptions. The policy cannot be universal. The policy cannot guess what exactly do you need. Mm -hmm. And so uh, those exceptions that you set up for scanning, they're very useful when, when you uh, des uh, describe the admission policies because it's basically the same thing. And um, uh, if you look at the clusters with hundreds of different workloads, with hundreds of different interfaces. These, this, this becomes a description of your application. It's not something on a side note. It's not something that you can do, you know, after hours just to change two parameters and good to go. If you don't get these parameters right, your cluster probably will not be secure. Okay. Okay, uh, one question about uh, setting up the terms correctly. Container runtime are usually called CWPP. They fall under the category of Cloud Worker Protection Platform, as Gartner called them. Um, give us a couple of words about it. I mean, uh... well, Gartner defined a pretty extensive model for con uh, cloud workload protection, and it goes all the way from the basics, where you actually what 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 is called the shift left. You start from the beginning, you scan your container images, you check your configurations, even before you get to the cluster. And then you have to figure out that your runtime cluster parameters are set uh, correctly. And this pyramid goes all the way up to the runtime security where you look at the memory of individual workloads, you see what's running there, you validate this, similar to antivirus concept, but it's completely different in terms of implementation, of course. But, uh, uh, you know, ex extended detection and response things uh, and, and, and something that you look at the runtime or live firewalls for the containers also go to this pyramid. And all the different layers of this pyramid are designed to start from the configuration and then go step by step to, to, to basically protect your workload during uh, development, during deployment and then during execution. 
Okay, let's talk a little bit about the difference between managed Kubernetes and uh, on-premise Kubernetes. I, uh, everybody can run their own on-premise Kubernetes, but I think the most favorite option is running it in a managed service like uh, Amazon Kubernetes Service or Azure Kubernetes Service. Uh, the differences? Uh, indeed, people prefer to use uh, managed Kubernetes wherever possible because it's just less work. Just like any platform services that you get from any cloud vendors, they do the job for you, they protect uh, what needs to be protected, they configure what needs to be configured. But uh, go back to the beginning, we said that Kubernetes is a universal platform. And I go to Amazon, I say, I want Kubernetes cluster with 25 nodes. That's what they give me. They, they have no idea what I'm going to run in there. And now... I have all the privileges to do uh, high privilege like root uh, processes on, on the nodes if necessary, communicate to any part of the network, communicate between workloads and, and nodes them, themselves, allow my workload to talk to Kubernetes API and ask for certain things. All of that is not restricted by the cloud service provider. You have to do it yourself. Cloud service provider in some cases even add additional roles to your default uh, RBAC uh, of, of your cluster because they want to give you more services. They want to offer you backup capabilities. They want to offer you auto-scaling capabilities. And for that, they need permissions in your cluster. So sometimes when you install Kubernetes from scratch, you'll find less roles or less users defined, predefined in your system than if you go with, with the cloud service provider. On the other hand, cloud service provider has its advantages. They, they run the system for you. They, they worry about availability. They worry about backup. They worry about regional availability, etc. And that, that is very uh, convenient for people. So, uh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's uh, about saving time against all the, all the benefits uh, that... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think I've seen a couple of days ago, I've seen this nice picture with like a kind of a flipped iceberg. Mm -hmm. It said in on-prem environment, you see the tip of the iceberg is what, what your applications are, what your software licenses are, and underneath there are hundreds of people that support your infrastructure. And in a cloud world, it's actually the other way around because you need to figure out how to manage all these platform services, how to configure what to buy, what not to buy, what costs money, what, you know, what takes time, what the performance is, etc. And But underneath... It's all done. You don't really need to worry about this. Yeah. Good one. <laughs> okay, maybe you can give me a, a word about the different flavors. I mean, in AWS, if I want to run containers, I've got Fragate, uh, Fargate, Fargate. Fargate, sorry, I, I never know how to say it. Yeah. Uh, you've got the Amazon Container Service and i got Amazon Kubernetes Service. couple of words on the different flavors. Well, uh, yeah, uh, Containers general started before Kubernetes and therefore most of the service providers had their own container management services even before they offered Kubernetes uh, as a managed solution. So Amazon, for example, had Elastic Container Service and part of it was called uh, Fargate and part of it was basically it's ECS Fargate and they have EKS, which is Elastic Kubernetes Service, which can also come with Fargate workloads. Okay, if you work with Kubernetes even manage Kubernetes, you still need to worry about uh, nodes. You still need to, to go to service uh, cloud service provider and say, I want five nodes of that capacity with these capabilities, and you connect those nodes to your cluster. Uh, people see this as an extra mile, extra work, and, and sometimes it's more convenient to say, I want Amazon to manage my nodes. I'll just tell you what node I need, and you figure out how to get it. And it's not necessarily then comes as a node, but but a capacity to run your container. You never know where this container runs. 
But Amazon has done a pretty good integration. It's not just Amazon, by the way. Amazon is just an example. Done pretty good integration with Kubernetes and Fargate, which basically says, I want to run Kubernetes. I want to deploy a container. I don't want to worry about nodes. So it has its advantages and and disadvantages. Okay, it's very convenient. Everything that somebody does for you is always very convenient. But uh, the disadvantage is that you have less control. And if if you're managed Kubernetes or unmanaged Kubernetes where, where you have access to Node, you can run something that's called Node Agent, something that allows you either security or functionality. Not not just not everything is about security here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the instances like Fargate or, or Autopilot from Google, you'll have no access to the Node, and therefore you cannot uh, use these um, technologies. You cannot use these products. You have to figure out something else. Now, remember the early days when we started to figure out how we're going to position our own uh, sensor, our own agent in, in, in those devices. We had a dilemma. Do we want to uh, bound ourselves to the nodes or we want to stay with the application? Do we want to support Fargate? Then we cannot be node agent. Do we want to take extra, uh, uh, extra permissions for, for Linux? Then we cannot be BPF. Okay? And these, these things are always a trade-off. There's no right and wrong. Yeah. Always depends on what you want to achieve, what your product is, and how you see it's growing. And, and, and then technology changes, and we change our mind as well. <laughs> now the eBPF was going to become available on a container level rather than on node level. It's actually already available. It just takes a little bit of time when it gets to a mass deployment. And we say, okay, fine. It solved our problem that, that we saw initially. Now we're going to use it. Okay, mm-hmm. And the same with the container storage interface. Okay. It was a fancy toy. Today is a commodity, so we can use it. We don't need to use it a different way of instrumentation, for example. Okay. A word about secrets. I mean, application secrets and storing secrets is one of the hottest topics in information security today. How, how do you manage it in Kubernetes? Um, well, uh, I think the answer is a little bit broader than how you manage it in Kubernetes. I think that in general, secrets, as you said, is, is very complicated subject because... Uh, Everybody says, you know, there are best practices. Don't put your secrets in your config file. Fine. Oh, by the way, uh, Cubescape is, is scanning your config files to figure out those secrets, if you have to see any secrets in there. And this is part of configuration scanning, not just Cubescape. Many tools do that. Uh, but uh, I think that in general, uh, there is a dilemma here. We, we call it a chicken and egg problem of secret distribution. Because if you don't have your secret in the application, you need to go somewhere and say, okay, now I'm going to run. Please give me the secret. How that somebody knows who you are? Yeah, it's the a- secret is usually something that represents like your password, right? You, you have your password in your head, but pieces of software running in some Amazon basement. There is no people. There is no keyboard. There is no head. Okay, and, and so something that you know or something that you have or something that you are is basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so secret distribution in general is, is a pretty big problem. Uh, Kubernetes actually has its own mechanism called Kubernetes secret. And as far as secrecy of the secret is concerned, Kubernetes secret and Kubernetes config maps, they're exactly the same. There's nothing extra in protecting secrets as as opposed to protecting uh, general configuration files. However, uh, Kubernetes people has done a very smart job. They said, we're going to call them by two separate names. And once we do that, then people who run the platform, they can uh, assign different permissions. So, yes, we, we, we keep them in the same ATCD database, one next to each other. There's no 
extra precaution. But if if you on the software level come to get them, then you know who you are and whether you allowed to get config. And I know who that, who that guy are is, and he, and he is allowed to get the secret. So you can separate access to the permissions. However, the secrecy of it is not really great. Okay, and. Uh, it's very convenient because this is how you manage your all other Kubernetes objects. You use YAML files, you use everything. But uh, you, you, you do need to worry about the security. And, and another important thing to say is the secret as a secret because we're looking at the essence of the, of the uh, problem here, not just the Kubernetes part of it. Secret lifecycle is much broader than Kubernetes. You, def, you, you generate it somewhere. You need to back it up somewhere. You need to put it into some infrastructure as a code script to actually deliver it from place where you created it to Kubernetes. And then it sits in Kubernetes uh, configuration database. So the life cycle is such that if you only have a solution for Kubernetes itself, then still half of your problem is wide open and it's not covered by this. Uh, so we, we believe that uh, the secret protection in general has to be holistic and we, we have developed a product that actually takes the entire life cycle of the secret and manage, manage it from the moment of creation to the moment of usage based on the identity, as I said before, and based on the, uh, a very precise identification of uh, a workload content. Mm -hmm. Okay, so trying to recap everything we just learned about Kubernetes. So Kubernetes, first of all, uh, you need to figure out your shared responsibility. It's very different if you're running in a managed environment or you're running your own uh, your own on-premise environment. But it's not only between you and the provider; it's also between the different teams and who has access to that. And then the example, by the way, of who can access the config map and who can access the secret store is a good example. I mean, it's all in the same place, but it's a matter of identity. To divide them, basically, we look at when we try to secure Kubernetes, we're looking at the cluster configuration. Where we worried about things like micro configuration, software vulnerabilities. We talk about the access and the identity, and we talk about the runtime itself of the containers and how to use the right uh, images and how to make sure that uh, you're right running your software. Uh, correctly, and uh, basically rely on all the other things, monitoring, identity, uh, uh, access, and uh, in the runtime, some kind of a tool to make sure that you're using those uh, those things. And it's um, you can you can use different flavors of Kubernetes. You can shift some of the responsibility to cloud provider, like a managed service. You can not, you can even run your containers without Kubernetes, which I mentioned as a couple of uh, services to that. And in the end, um, it's all down to the security hygiene of your environment, who can access, where you keep your stuff, where you, uh, where, how you separate the different job roles, just like in any other securities. Am I missing anything? Do you want to add on something on top of that? Well, probably one more thing. You know, when, when, when cloud service provider gives you managed flavor of Kubernetes, they would always try to mix it with some of their own tools that are related to the cloud, it could be driven by uh, uh, stickiness. It could be driven by convenience. You you decide which which one do you like more. Okay, but it's very important that uh, in many cases we when we see cluster we see a mix between Kubernetes and cloud security. For example, uh, classic Kubernetes way of pulling images from the repository is what what's called image pulled secrets, which is configured to Kubernetes. 
But in many cases, when you run in the cloud, cloud vendors offer you identity access management solutions, which are pre-configured into the nodes. So it makes it much more convenient. But you really need to think whether it's good for you or not. First of all, you have two different mechanisms to manage in the system now. And second, you now, if, if, you, if you want to uh, move your solution or extend your solution to different cloud vendor, your application logic is already dependent on something that you cannot find someplace else. And of course, uh, security-wise, you have more moving parts, you have more cracks between the chairs, basically. Mm -hmm. okay. So thank you very much, Leonid. It was a very good review on Kubernetes security, and I thank you and good luck with, your, uh, with Armo and your open source uh, uh, project, and uh, hopefully you'll help us to secure this uh, very exciting uh, landscape. Yeah, thank oh. you. Thank you guys, and as I said, we are relying on the community, we work with a lot of people, and we invite everybody to go, come and see Cubescape and uh, try and work with us and contribute to the community. Thank right. you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you, Moshe. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.